0: Welcome to Bold Thinking, entrepreneurial stories honestly told. In a world full of chaos, this is a podcast about the people making positive change in the world, using bold thinking to transform business and themselves. Today, I'm speaking live in the studio to Simon Large, who most recently was customer director at Cathay Pacific in Hong Kong, before returning to the UK and setting up his new customer experience consultancy. He joined Swire, Kathy Pacific's parent company, in 1991. So it is totally fair to say there isn't much he doesn't know about the ever-changing world of airlines, which, as we know at the moment, has been a massively interesting topic in the world. So welcome to Bold Thinking, Simon, and thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure. Um, I was thinking about a world full of chaos. It does feel a bit like that, but it's lovely that we're back in the studio um, talking to one another face to face—that's a—that's a good sign. But so much is happening at the moment; it's a fascinating time to be to be thinking about brands.
0: Well, yeah, we were, we were talking about—we set up the podcast uh, last March, and I think you know myself and uh, the team—we were in the middle of sort of lockdown, and it just felt really pessimistic—the world, what was going to happen, and shops closing, industries failing. You know, the airline industry was obviously massively affected, and we just thought okay, the world needs a lot of bold thinking. It needs optimism. Where are the shining lights in the world? What's happening that's great? So it's brilliant that you've come in today, uh, Simon, to tell us about your career, your approach to customer experience at Catholic Pacific, and also just tell us a bit about the industry and what's gone on over the last you know, couple of years, because it must have been absolutely bonkers for you guys.
1: Yeah, there's a lot in all of that. But uh, yeah, I started, as you said, I started in the early 90s in the airline industry. I went straight from university Out to Asia with the Swire Group, as you say, and they their biggest company is Cafe Pacific, or their biggest brand is Cafe Pacific, and they they gave me a job on the front line for two years at Kai Tak Airport, which at the time was, I think, regarded as the most exciting airport in the world for many reasons. And so I had I had two years um, taking care of customers on the front line, and back then the airline was sort of fifty airplanes, two million people a year. Um, almost well very lim- limited technology really so it was very much about face-to-face about managing uh, vips um, ordinary customers uh, every day and so that's where i got my my kind of grounding if you like and that's where i i learned about the the interesting world of of, of handling consumers and in, in airlines i mean you know I mean, probably 40 percent of people who travel are quite anxious generally Mm. that just is the nature of the business so you see the full gamut of kind of emotions when you're working on the front line in aviation um, particularly sort of anger despair worry excitement all of those things um that's kind of why when you're flying actually if you've ever watched a movie when you're flying you kind of cry a lot or you Mm. you laugh a lot it's 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 that heightened sense so yeah you do you do have to learn about customers um uh, the you know in, in the hardware in a sense so so that's where I started um and then I finished, as you say, just a few months ago, um having done five years as customer director of the same airline, and then it was a very different business mm. um, you know so that was thirty five forty million passengers a year, two hundred airplanes, you know much greater technology. I mean the business could gone from being just about fairly um straightforward transport to being about entertainment, hospitality. Um, all, all you know, whole, 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 uh, retail. These were all new parts to the business, and, and uh, enormous amounts of technology, digitization, uh, sustainability was a, was a big. So you know, levels of complexity had changed massively. I suppose the one thing that hadn't changed enormously was the fact that you still had to put the consumer at, at the heart. Of course, you had to understand people, um, and that's that was almost the hardest thing I think in in, in aviation, in a sense, and keeping a. A brand alive and keeping it relevant was was understanding how consumer trends were changing and how behaviours were changing. So yeah, those early experiences at the front line were were invaluable for me, um, and I'll always remember them. I mean, the first week I was in the airline. Just thinking back, I, I was asked to to handle a quite a famous tennis player who'd arrived into Hong Kong uh, to play an exhibition match, and he had a well known temper, and uh, and he and he hadn't brought the right visa with him. Uh, and I was asked to to, and he couldn't get in, and so I was asked to go down and to calm him down, and I literally went down. I remember, and this guy had 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 thrown all his rackets on the floor, and was treating the immigration <laughs> <a> officials, <laughs> <laughs> treating the immigration officials as though they were the sort of umpire in a tennis match, and uh, and I had to sort of take him aside and say, look, this isn't going to work here. You're going to have to uh, you're going to have to come down. Otherwise, you are going to have to get on the plane back. Um, but anyway, I mean, it was just it was just a really interesting time. It's been a fascinating business to be a part of.
0: I mean, you know, that's a massive growth, 50 to 200 playing just an indicative number there. And obviously when the pandemic hit, everyone wants to know about this, I'm absolutely sure. That must have been very, very difficult for that industry. I mean, talk about pivoting. It's hard to pivot where and, you know, what happened?
1: Yeah, so... Um most airlines parked probably 90 percent 80 to 90 percent of their airplanes um in the desert Um, certainly by now i'd say most most airlines some airlines uh have got a big domestic network in the states for example and that continues to go well some airlines have big cargo networks and that's been a huge business that has carried on um irrespective uh so it's not you know it's not as though everything came to a grinding halt but on the passenger side, um, yeah, it's been it's been a massive change for them. But but I guess, you know, there'll be some good that will come out of it. Um Airlines have had to think about diversifying their brands, getting into other areas to, to generate revenue. They've had to think much more about hygiene, which can can only be a good thing probably going forward. Mm-hmm. Um they've had to think much more about the digital experience. They've had to think much they'll have to think much more about the the the, um, the sustainability of the business going forward too, I think there'll probably be fewer business travelers on the other side of this. I think everyone 's learned that's that that more can be done through zoom mm. clearly now, at the same time, I would argue you you can 't quite beat a face to face meeting yet. I think zoom doesn 't replicate it exactly, mm. but you know there's no there 's no doubt that there are many people who used to travel real road warriors who'll now think, actually what was I doing? I can spend so much more time at home and just do far fewer trips in the future so it is going to revolutionize the business i think the thing is to try to pick the bones out of it and try and get the best out of it that they can on the other side and there'll be some good things like i said that will that will come from it
0: no i mean it's probably the most affected industry i'd have thought isn't it you know overall
1: i would think so in terms of just the amount of money that's been parked mm. <laughs> i mean the amount of capital that's just been and the amount of debt that's been incurred yeah it's it's, it's going to be it's going to be very far reaching the impact i i No one's going to buy any new airplanes now um, for some time to come, or not very few airlines are going to be able to to afford to buy new airplanes. So, new aircraft development will be a problem. That's a concern because new airplanes are going to be be more environmentally friendly. New technology will, but they need investment. But but I don't think anyone's going to be buying those. So, old airplanes are going to be flying for longer, and that's that's going to be a problem for the industry. But. Yeah, it, it, it's. Um, I can't think of another industry that's been affected as much. Maybe hotels, I don't know. But but it, it's uh, it's it's been it's been a challenge.
0: One of the things we we've, we've spoke a lot about on this podcast is this whole thing around bold thinking, and you know, looking back on your. I think there's a twofold question: What do you think bold thinking means to you? And looking back over the last, you know, period of your career, but also what could it mean for you moving forward? Because obviously you've moved roles, you're rethinking your future, what that looks like for you. So I think for someone like you, the question is looking back, what's the boldest thing you've, what's your boldest thing? But moving forward, what does bold look like to you? How brave are you? Are you going to be in the same sector? Industry go back. Are you? What's your plans?
1: Gosh, there's a a lot in that. So I thought obviously coming on to a podcast called Bold Thinking, it's important to think what we think that means. Uh, I I go back myself to a book I read in 2005, which um, really had an impact on me, um, partially because I love the title, but more because I love the content. And that was uh, the book by Yvonne Chouinard, who runs Patagonia, um, called Let My People Go Surfing. Um, and I thought that was about the boldest thinking that I'd come across in terms of how to build a company how to think about branding. And I still think today, to be honest, that is the answer to me to that question about bold thinking. I think now it's about how do you get that alignment between doing good for society, good for the environment, but also building a great consumer brand. I think if you can get that that right, if you can get that intersection together, I think that is, that is the way forward. That is how people can be bold and really address some of the challenges that society now has that we've, that we've just discussed and aren't going to go away. Uh, and I still believe that commerce is the most powerful tool by which you can do that. So governments, charities can try, but I think, I think brands ultimately have to be at the forefront of that. Um, I go back when I started in terms of being bold uh, i suppose when i when i when i was in the early part of my career a friend and i wrote to our chairman at the time and we were just small pawns really in the business and we we wrote a, a letter i think it was a letter because it was pre-email uh to the chairman uh in hong kong and said you know was there a way that our business at the time could uh have a better impact on society is was there things that we could be doing um that In that stage, it was more around poverty because we were working in some very poor parts of Asia and we were quite concerned about just how our business was going to survive with so much poverty around us. And we we had a number of ideas then um, that we put to him. And it was kind of a a Jerry Maguire type moment, really, if you remember that movie Mm -hmm. where uh, uh, he writes something down. And it was a bit make or break. And I remember we were summoned and I was very nervous to this big house in Hong Kong and to have tea and discuss, and I thought it might be the end of my career. Um, and he told me then. Uh, I remember him saying, "You know, I appreciate the letter, but really, it's business's role to just make profit uh, and drive shareholder value. And then, you know, if there's some left over, you give that to charity, and that's the way it works. Uh, and either get your head around that, or go and go off and do something else." And I remember that had quite a profound impact on me then. Um, And I thought about it a lot ever since, but, but I think now there is the great thing now is there is this real consumer desire for brands that, that are, as I say, doing some sort of good as well as providing a great customer experience. I mean, after that initial, uh, letter, I then subsequently then was part of two or three rebranding exercises, uh, in, in airlines, particularly I did some other rebranding elsewhere, but that's always quite an emotive thing. Um, because you know when you've got 200 airplanes or you know that kind of number, usually it involves painting them, which is quite high profile apart from anything else. Uh, but also, you know, to say aviation is, is high profile by nature. So getting into those kind of projects were always quite bold in that sense, um, and you always had to really rethink, you know who was our consumer, what were we trying to stand for, what was the future going to look like? How do we build that into the brand positioning? And, and making the case to do it was always quite challenging and difficult. Um, so, so I would say those were areas where where, some boldness was required. I think going forward, I'm really interested in how brands stay relevant now. Um, and a number of the things I've mentioned, or we've talked about already, I think are going to be part of that. So I just don't, you know, the moment you stop thinking about your consumer, the moment you Uh, are not agile I think is the moment you're at your weakest as a a brand and and I think and 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 so that's the the challenge for every brand out there is how do you how do you keep that agility Uh, and and how do you challenge yourself to change Uh, particularly if you you know if you think things are going well quite often you think well we'll just keep the same formula that will work but often often that's your your most vulnerable point I think.
0: No I mean we've had quite a lot of conversations on the podcast about um, social entrepreneurialism and what that means, and obviously back to your thing earlier, as we both know, it's about the profit going back into the organisation to help whatever charity is the most is on their agenda or is on their target, which is which it makes incredibly difficult for big-funded businesses, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean it, it does. It does. Uh, so I totally have I have every sympathy uh, and empathy for that, um, but it doesn't. I mean, building a business model. That doesn't have to just be about charity, does it yeah. it can be you know you can, i mean i I listened to um, one of your previous visits you know change please which yeah. was I thought uh, Jamal who was a fantastic talker and speaker about a, a business model that that's built in it's built into the i mean they still produce great coffee uh, yeah. and it's a great a great customer experience if you go to one of their coffee shops um, but at the same time you know they're doing great things by by looking after homeless and, and and building sustainable lives for them as well. So I think it comes back to looking at the entire business model. And and, and as I say, it, it it does sometimes require significant change.
0: And you're right. I remember reading the story recently about, um, you know, Ben and Jerry's when they set up. I think it's 7% or 7.5% from day one was always about, you know, giving back and a lot around sort of climate change. And they've got some of those really provocative ad- advertisements where the world goes um One percent hotter, and they put the ice creams, and they just go. They just suddenly melt. So they really tied it in really good to their positioning, their brand, their mission, and it got baked in. And even I think when they got bought out by Unilever, eventually they sort of have tried to keep that um, original foundation of the brand. But I think you're right; it has to be baked in at the beginning and seen as a as your sort of original essence or core to why you exist or why you're created in the world, doesn't it? It's harder down the line than to. Suddenly, go to Cathy Pacific. Right, we're just going to take seven point five percent profit out of that to uh, to do for climate change, isn't it? <laughs> I totally agree. So that that
1: is the, the the biggest single challenge, I think, for legacy brands is 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 exactly that. You know, um, it doesn't feel authentic if it's sometimes not built in at the outset, or the people at the top haven't bought into the idea. Um, but I think they most most brands that I've worked with uh, recognize they've got that challenge now. Do you do you stop it and and start again? Do you you know do you break it all up and, and begin again? That's always an option. It's a brave option, uh, but um, it's a possible one in some cases. Um, I think it is it is possible to change course when you are a big a big brand and find a new identity. But it's a lot of work, and you've got to be committed. Um, but it's a good challenge. It's a necessary challenge. So um, it's one I'm quite excited to to continue to be a part of. I mean, when I in my final years at a cafe, you know that whole, the whole. I mean, every airline now has to grapple with climate change. Um, it's the single biggest challenge for airlines to take on. Will we all stop flying tomorrow? I don't think so. I think I think flying has been an incredibly positive thing for for the human race. But uh, on the whole, but that that doesn't excuse that industry from from trying to trying to address the whole issue of of, uh, of emissions and and so. I mean, the good thing to see is that most of the major airlines now have committed to being net zero by 2030, 2040, 2050, that kind of time frame. It is going to be hard, though, like I said earlier, with the fact that you won't, you may not get the new airplanes coming out anytime soon, and they're going to be a big part of that puzzle. But biofuels, making it easier for consumers to offset, I mean, that's airlines have been bad at that. You know, how do you make it really easy for mm. me? To offset my my flights, um, that's 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 an easy one for for some airlines to do mm. to make that experience better.
0: So, do you think, just back to your earlier point, do you think that a lot of brands put customers at their heart?
1: No, I don't.
0: Is it more rare than common?
1: Uh, I think it's it's rarer than common from what I have seen, and and I think putting customers at your heart is a little bit simplistic. Um, do I have? Do I see brands or experienced brands that I think really have very strong customer insights at their heart that are kind of the bellwether that's leading them every day, challenging that business? No, I don't see that very often. When you see really strong insights, teams at the heart of a company who are kind of almost reporting into the CEO, that's when you, there's an indicator that I think they're thinking correctly. And by insights, I mean, these are obviously teams that do uh, spend hours and hours interviewing customers, but also they look at future trends, they look at technology, they have to bring it all together. It's not just about, Mm. you know, listening to consumers, is it? I mean, the famous line from Henry Ford about, you know, if I'd only listened to consumers, I would have have built a faster horse. You know, Mm. I I don't know whether he actually ever said that, by the way, but it is still a useful Mm. uh, sort of um, cliche in a sense. So. I do think you know you do have to look at the future and you do have to bring that into your into your thinking as well as putting you know listening to your to your customer base. Uh I remember when when I started in the airline industry we used to th- be very pleased with ourselves at cafe because we had comfortable seats, we had good service, we had good food. And we had we had positive uh surveys, these paper-based surveys, these awful surveys everyone used to have to fill in on an airplane always used to get very positive surveys and used to go into these meetings and people say, yeah, no, it's all looking pretty good. And Emirates came into the business and put you know, in-flight entertainment systems on the back of every TV, every seat. Mm. And of course, overnight, everyone said, oh, we didn't know that was possible. And we'll have some of that. That's what we now think is the most important thing or one of the most important things. And everyone else had to catch up. So there was an example where we just hadn't thought about the future and what technology was going to, to do. And we, we were just too comfortable in our own in our own position so you know yeah I think you have to be constantly trying to to imagine what the world's going to be like and what's going to change your business
0: yeah and sort of think beyond I remember I remember the first times I flew many years ago shows my age now people smoke at the back of the plane yeah absolutely <laughs> yes. it's like how does how does that work yeah, and if you were unlucky <laughs> enough to have the
1: seat in front and it was called no smoking yeah. I mean, I mean, whatever. I mean, that was just extraordinary. You could, you're basically <laughs> inhaling everyone's <laughs> smoke for the entire flight. It was a terrible experience, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, awful.
0: No, and I agree with you. I think it's almost like thinking beyond customers' expectations and thinking, what does that look like? So back to the thing about bold thinking, you know, you're at the moment, you're setting up a new customer experience consultancy. What brands would you like to work with? Who's Who's out there that's on your allowed to talk about your hit list you know who would you love to sort of or even like you know well I mean I find
1: I find all of all of them so interesting particularly in the UK at the moment because that's where I'm now located but I walk down a high street and I I just I, I can't help myself but look at look in every window um, of retail brands uh, and understand try and think how they're going to survive you know the, the the high street high street names I look at banks and I think how are they what are they going to do on the other side of this not just because everyone was anyway going well, not everyone, many people were were moving more towards, a, you know, a, a digital interface with their bank. But but there are many who, who still want to go in and see somebody and how are you going to make that easier, you know, maintain some of the hygiene. I, I think about what will come on the other side of this. Do What do we think will stay and what do we think will quickly go? So, you know, I was thinking today, well, the face mask may disappear quite fast, although, um, you know, we, we won't be so alarmed when we see someone down the street walking with a face mask in the future. But I don't think it will be a permanent legacy, at least immediately, of, of of this pandemic. Having said that, I think hand sanitizer might be. Mm. So you know, things like that are fascinating. I mean, I do. I mean, I actually now, actually, genuinely, it's 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 almost become second nature for me. If I've put my hand on the banister going down the tube, think, well, I must, I must, must wash my hands, and that that seems quite a sensible mm. um, evolution, if you like, to me. So, yeah, I, I I would, you know, I think every you know retailers, banks, um, airlines. I'm, I'm, my, my background is bricks and mortar as well as as digital, so I like I like both. I like to think about both, and I do like to think and I do like the human experience still. Um, and I still like to hope that we will have a you know they'll have a big part to play the shops of, in the high street, and I'd hate to see our high streets empty and everyone sitting behind a laptop doing everything there. That doesn't seem right to me. So, but how could we reimagine uh, the high street of the future? Make and I mean, I also enjoy thinking about the work experience too. So, you know, officers of the future, what will they be like? Um and I think that's a great development. I think flexible working is a is a really good thing that might come out of this, um, for, for the younger generation, you know, to I mean that's not something we had when we started. We did that nine to five to use the, I think the Dolly Parton song or mm. um slog, didn't we? And yeah. it was always a you know and, and it was, um, you know, to get in and, and but now that may not be so much part of people's future and i think that's 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 a good outcome
0: now i think it's massively important and i think this whole i mean i i'm i'm sort of like obviously i'm a big i, I shop online and shop in store, but i'm just finding at the moment that it's so saturated obviously the online thing where do you where do brands have a voice it's really 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 difficult to brands to actually have a voice so I suppose I'm a little bit old fashioned in the sense I quite like I walked up Soho today, looked at all the shops, you know, Dragon's Den, a guy on Dragon's Den had actually got himself a little shop there. And Sophie's Art, you know, this amazing artist who I've been following, she's got an amazing space there. And and I really do feel like there's this need or this want for people to connect again and to really have that sort of physical face-to-face and experiential and, you know, coming together in the community, I suppose my biggest worry is, is there going to be funding behind that? Are people really going to invest in that? Are they going to invest in that bricks and mortar experience or what do we think is going to happen with all that in the world?
1: Yeah, it's a good, I don't know the answer to whether the investment will be there. I do think your point though about people want a little bit of kind of joy (laughs) back Mm -hmm. after a fairly bleak period and I do think that's an opportunity um, I also think something we were talking about previously I think there's an opportunity for compassion and kindness that's something that struck me uh, a lot in, in in the lockdown and in that um, yeah I think a lot of people suffered suffered a great deal um, whether it's mentally or, or physically and and there are I say the real opportunities there for brands I think to 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 provide those things uh, and and really resonate uh, with with everyone on the other side, as you say, on the other side, we maybe we're not on the other side, but certainly, mm. you know, as a, as a learning from from this, uh, and I hope that that will be the case, and that we really celebrate, you know, all the, the great things that we we were unable to to experience for that eighteen months or so that mm. that we are in lockdown. Um, I, yeah, I do I do see opportunity.
0: So you're back in the UK now. Um, I actually had a a really lovely weekend away with a friend who works over in Asia. And we were talking about the different cultures around, you know, there's a obviously a massive thing at the moment over in, you know, Asia around personalization and monitoring. It felt a bit like Minority Report and the score systems. And what is the difference, would you say, or have you been feeling back in the UK, you know, in that sort of like Asian cultural thing? It felt, he was talking to me about this amazing tracking really feels incredibly tailored towards people feels incredibly personalized in different areas and I was like is this a good or a bad thing
1: yeah and and certainly in Hong Kong where I where I was based for a lot I mean there was real real paranoia in a sense about about that actually um about being tracked and um how much personal information uh people had access to uh and but you're right I mean it's 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 an interesting trend. It, it's one that I don't think we can prevent, but it's certainly one we have to keep an eye on uh, and and I really understand, um, yeah, consumer sensitivities on it. I mean, I I've always found the UK. I mean, I haven't as I haven't been here for 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 a long period of time, but it's it's always very entrepreneurial here. I think we haven't lost that. Mm. In my senses, we haven't lost that. Uh, which is you can feel it here. There's always ideas. It's always leading edge in that sense. We can be a little bit uh, negative at times. I think it feels that way. Uh, it's a bit doom and gloom sometimes. But there's no question that you know again, where I was previously in, in Hong Kong, they're still not out of lockdown. So mm. they're not. They haven't started traveling. They haven't, uh, and they're not. A, they're not about to for another eight to ten months yet. Here, it's almost in times. Feels like you know we we we're on the other side as i say of the mm. whole thing so it's a very different environment now time will tell who who whose strategy is 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 best but it i think you know i feel here as though um there's a real real vibrancy in terms of young people too in terms of what they you know they think is possible that's certainly my sense of it and i find that liberating and exciting um so that hasn't gone away uh in a way that perhaps i didn't feel to the same degree um in in, in asia so you know but there are other pros and cons on on both sides
0: i was reading the day this fact that nine percent of students there's 126,000 in the uk went to uni out of those nine percent have actually got their own business already started up
1: yeah i think gen z are amazing
0: i was just like pretty astounded by that
1: yeah i think i think they they continually astound me actually it gives me real hope
0: so just on that then, you know, so how optimistic are you at the moment? And I suppose I'm going to split this into two now based on that. So how optimistic are you at the moment in the UK? And then I'm going to say in Asia as well, because I'm really fascinated by that that sort of difference.
1: I am optimistic in the UK. as I well, The optimism comes from youth and, and watching them. And and also, as I say, seeing some of the better things that have come from this and, 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 and understanding that, you know, how as I say, commerce or business can address some of these challenges. I think that uh, whether it's healthcare, whether it's schooling, uh, whether it's flexible working—you know—there are real opportunities now to do things differently. Um, whether it's you know how we address you know food or sustainability issues, um, I, I just can see businesses and brands here, particularly, beginning to come to terms with this. In a very serious way, um, that I didn't see to the same degree in Asia. I didn't see that level of um, of uh, innovation. Uh, and often, as I say, some you know some of the most interesting ideas do come from here. That do come come um, also from the most. But that being said, on the technology side in Asia, wow, there's some some extraordinary things coming out of out of China uh, mm. every day. I have to acknowledge, you know, and whether they are as concerned with some of the challenges that that you know i've just spoken about i i i i didn't sense but i do hope when they do set their sights on i say something like climate change in china they certainly have the the capability and the and the um, funding to to really do some powerful things so yeah it's just a question of time really but i didn't i didn't see it to the same degree there that i've seen it here
0: Yeah, we just had a podcast earlier with um, the Design Council and at their heart now is design around the planet and for good and to really take under the wing their sustainability. So it does feel even in our our community, it's become massively important. So just on that, what do you think it's going to take? And I know we touched on a little bit earlier, but... What do you really think it's going to take for a brand to thrive in the future, and I suppose i'm going to talk about it i'm going to talk about it from a local and global perspective if i'm honest because I sometimes think there's a little bit of a I mean, coming from a a very much a global brand background. How do you see a brand thrive in the future on a local and global level?
1: Well we talked about you know the the business model at the outset and the and the um the goals, the values, at the top of the brand, and I think that's where it starts. What's what what its mission is, and as I said, I think if you can, in some way, align doing some good along with creating a good customer experience. I think if you have a mission, in some way, aligned to that, I think I think that's that's a very important start. Um, I think. Beyond that, we used to, we used to talk about two things. I always used to think a lot about, and I still think they're valid um, in in the customer experience in a brand. And call them plumbing and poetry. Um, you have got to know obviously who your consumers are. These are these are these are issues of plumbing. You've got to know what they want, what they need. You have to have a really strong, uh, I said, insights capability, so that you're constantly on top of changing behaviours, um, trends, and so on, and you're challenging yourself. And, and you've got to fundamentally have a strong experience. So in airlines, that was about, you know, if you didn't, um, pretty much arrive, depart on time, uh, if you didn't have a clean airplane, you know, if, if things didn't work, everything had to work on the, on the airplane, you had to get someone there with their bag more often than not, if you could, um, you know, if you did those things right time and time again, that was the core and that was the plumbing. But then beyond that, you had to, you had to add a little bit of poetry. You had to have some some touches where, you know, you 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 just brought some joy into a customer's life in some way, shape, or form. It didn't have to be huge and big. It just had to be to be enough to say, you know, you cared. And and um and I think if you can find those moments uh, as a brand, particularly now, I think people respond so well to them. Um, not just done through a a, a a screen, but done in as I said often. Face to face, if you could recognise somebody and say welcome back, or you know, say have a you know really have a, a, a enjoyable journey, whatever it might be, um, that 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 made a tremendous difference. So, yeah, I think I think as I say, it would be around having the right mission. It would be around having a clear understanding of the plumbing of your business and, and delivering on it time and time again, and then it would be adding just a little bit of um, poetry uh, to that as well, um, in ways that would just bring a bit of joy to people's lives.
0: Mm, I really love that, that sort of uh, poetry and plumbing. I think it's that sort of uh, ideational joy and recognition of that is is brilliant. I really love that. Well, thank you, Simon, for joining us today um, and for listening to Bold Thinking, entrepreneurial stories honestly told. If this episode got you thinking, share your comments on LinkedIn, Twitter or Instagram or contact us at hello at thehonestbrand.com. Join me next time to hear from someone who's making a positive change in the world. I just want to say thank you to Simon for coming in. That's incredibly knowledgeable, inspiring about the airline industry and also, you know, what your journey is going to look like next. Thank you
1: very much for for inviting me. It's been a real pleasure to think about this as well as to, to be part of it.